0: Hey guys, welcome to the Style Start & Startups Podcast. I'm your host, Naran Bhomedi. Uh I catch up today with uh, Shwetang. He's an early stage investor. He's based out of uh, Singapore uh, and Delhi. I think he moves around wherever his heart says he wants to be at this point. Uh, he's the co-founder of uh, Leo Capital. Uh, he's been in the investing space. Uh, he's kind of been an entrepreneur for a little bit. He's gone back. We'll ask him all about that, um, but more importantly, He's invested in some very interesting companies across the globe. Um, he's got investments in New York, India, Australia. So we dig a little bit into that as well. Uh, let's say hi, to Shwetank. Hey, Shwetank, Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Varun. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here.
0: Fantastic. I mean, it's been uh, quite a while since we met uh, in that little coffee shop in Delhi. Um, and a lot has changed. A lot has changed, um, you know, around us. But... Uh, more importantly, I think you're staying put in Singapore
1: at this moment. Um,
0: is that by design?
1: <laughs> well, there's no option, right? I mean, the Singapore government has made it very clear that if you leave, don't come back. <laughs> <So I'd, laughs> I'm, I'm stuck here. Uh, I got here just before the lockdown started in March 2020. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we met a, We met in December. Uh, so yeah, my life used to be... So it was three weeks in Singapore and a week in uh, Delhi every month. And uh, for the last six months, I've been here all the time. So I am desperate to get back on a plane, but I don't know when I'll be able to do that.
0: Uh, I think we all are. Uh, <laughs> but I think most of us yeah. have selfish reasons to get on a plane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um thank for our listeners could you give a quick intro uh, to your background you know, i know you've been a VC uh, and then an entrepreneur and you've kind of gone back uh, to investing um you know we'd love to get that uh, quick intro and then you know we'll get into a lot of other cool things
1: Yeah, sure varun so i've been on all sides of the table i've been an entrepreneur been an investor uh, been a corporate guy as well uh, which didn't really end that well so my background i qualified as an accountant in the uk uh, in well, way back at uh, Price Waterhouse, uh, then moved to Singapore to work for a multi-billionaire uh, in Singapore. Uh, sort of run uh, as a large, uh, you know, th- three-billion-dollar family office, uh, and I was doing both pri- private and public investing for them, uh, and especially sort of spent a lot of time there, and and ended up managing the India office, where we had uh, you know fair uh, fair exposure to India across both financial services and publicly and uh, you know, private investments in in healthcare and education uh, had always have always had an entrepreneurial itch. I did my first startup while I was at university. So while sort of working with so many early stage entrepreneurs, etc., uh, you know, de- developed the itch again to have a crack at it on my own again. So started a healthcare venture in 2013. We had a decent run. Uh, we raised some. We raised a decent amount of money. We 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 had fun, but. Uh, it became evident, sort of late '15, that it's not going to be the hockey stick uh, and uh, and uh, growth that we wanted it to be. So had to uh, so we we sold that, and I moved back to Singapore to uh, work for MetLife and run their Open Innovation for the region. Uh, interesting, sort of two year two year horizon, but I was always keen to get back to really working with startups. And you know, while with Met it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, it was sort of very, uh, you know, uh, straight jacketed what you could and couldn't do. And, and you really couldn't make investments. It was very complicated. So yeah, so sort of I had been thinking of doing a fund for a long time and uh, Rajul who had been an investor in, 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 my startup and I had become great friends. We were sort of back and forth and then, then, we said, let's just pull the trigger. And Leo Capital was born in 2018. Uh, and since then we've invested in 21 companies, some of the ones you named, um, And, uh, yeah, it's been great. It's great to be back on sort of the startup side of the world. We are a startup fund, so it is very much a startup. And, of course, working with phenomenal entrepreneurs is always always rewarding.
0: Um, What's interesting is you focus primarily on health tech, insure tech, uh, in a way. Um, And, you know, do you focus on tech only or, you know, uh, tech is just, uh, you know, something that gets thrown in?
1: So Leo Capital, we are a cross-sector fund. So if you look at our portfolio, it has everything from, uh, you know, insure tech as you mentioned to logistics, to consumer internet. Uh, my depth, of course, is health tech and insure tech, uh, given that I started a healthcare venture and worked for an insurance company. Uh, but we're we're all generalists, and I'm I'm trying to do stuff outside of these two spaces as well. But if it is this space, then I certainly look at it within the fund. Um, you know, to your question, I think tech is integral. It it can't be an afterthought. It's, uh, you know, tech, the world is going digital. We've seen that. We've seen the, the, the change in the public market as well as to how much technology is driving future growth, right? If you think of future revenue growth, tech has to be core to your philosophy and core to your business. It can't be an add-on. It can't be sort of just uh, something you slap on. I think that's a different kind of uh, model altogether. So for us, tech is core. We look for... Models where tech has a clear leverage, tech and data, I should say, right. So, uh, you know, your ability to uh, to capture interesting data streams, to create personalization, these things are really important. Uh, And uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, the the market has to be large enough to support a venture's venture-style play.
0: Your invest well. Before I get into the investing part, uh, I'm curious. Most you you worked at MetLife, and MetLife was a corporate incubator of sorts or uh, what was that structure Uh, i think the project was called collab
1: right yeah yeah so i I created collab so collab was not an incubator it was really more um, what i was calling a post accelerator so what it meant was it was the opportunity for a b2b SaaS company primarily to get a large contract from metlife and from metlife side it was a way to simplify working with with a sort of early stage technology company, relatively early stage technology company, so that we had access to the best technology without getting drowned in, you know, procurement, compliance, and, you know, whatever those things are, it's painful. So that was what Collab was. Collab was identify the problem that MetLife wants to solve, bring in the best in breed, cutting edge technology, rather than sort of, you know, relying on our, well-known, I will not want to name them. Well-known, but slightly old-fashioned vendors, uh, and and see if whether using the new technology allowed us to, you know, either increase revenue growth or in, or increase cost savings. So that was the collab program in a nutshell. Sure. Okay, because you know when you look at um, you know corporate uh,
0: innovation cells or R and D or any of that, they typically don't go in the fashion that you want them to go. Right. Uh, ultimately, what happens over a, a longer period of time. Uh, that's why acquisitions happen. Uh, they're like, hey, nothing's happening internally, so we're going to go and bring uh, technology from outside, which, because obviously the folks inside are, are too, uh, you know, straight jacketed and, and, you know, have like a, uh, you know, some kind of blinders. They, they, they can't see beyond what's, what's, uh, you know, in front of them. So um, I'm just curious from a MetLife standpoint, was it similar where, you know, I mean, of course you don't have to speak for MetLife, but from a corporate angle, um, you know, you you were on the inside and you've also been on the outside. So you would probably have a better sense as to why some of these, uh, the innovation gets stifled and they have to look outside.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. Many, many books have been written about this, right? Or the culture about this. To me, it's just a, it is a, sort of effectively learned helplessness, right? People who spend too long inside just get so wedded to, this is the way we've done things, uh, or the regulator will never, never allow this, or legal will never allow this, or procurement will never allow this. The list of things that can go wrong are always exceptionally large. And I think that's the bottom line, right? The uh, The incentive structure does not, uh, does not sort of permit, allow or celebrate, um, there's no incentive in failing, right? If, if you get attached to p- projects that keep failing, your career goes nowhere. So the incentive structure is, is structured such that a certain risk averseness and a certain desire to make sure that you're able to spin whatever you're working on as a success so that you get your promotion is hardwired into all these corporates. And ultimately, that's what uh, stymies innovation because to do anything new, you have to break some of the old paths. And uh, I mean, you have to be quite crazy. Quite frankly, if you're thinking of being a lifelong corporate guy to go around breaking all these norms, et cetera, it's it's asking for way too much, man. Why would you do that? (laughs) Right. right? I mean, the upside is not, not life changing as it is for an entrepreneur. Uh, And the downside is you get fired. So I think fundamental incentive systems are broken. It's very hard to fix. Uh, And, given that, you know, the, that's why startups exist because people get frustrated. They are always entrepreneurs in all these large organizations. They get frustrated uh, and they, they step out and create uh, game-changing businesses. Within MetLife, I mean, uh, you know, this I'm happy to, this is public, so happy to share it. Uh, our former CIO, Ga- Gary Hoberman, got so uh, frustrated that he stepped out and he's created this company called Uncork, which is now, you know, a $300 million or $400 million company. Wow. building stuff that he wanted to build inside, but he couldn't do it because of all the, all the challenges. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's
0: mind blowing. No, that's, that's very interesting. You say that because, uh, you know, uh, I had a chat with uh, Binay um and he was, he's like a, almost a lifer at a bank. Right. And uh, he said something interesting. He said, Barun, every vertical that a bank launches is a billion dollar opportunity. Right. And, and a lot of the times you see from the inside, and you could do a lot better and it could become multi-million dollar. And that's why you you know, you say, you know, if I do some parts of this really well, you're not going to go to the bank. You'd want to work with another player who's able to do this uh, at that scale. Um, hey, so, you know, you're, you've seen, uh, you know, the South Asian market, you've seen India, uh, you're invested across the world. Um, a lot of these countries have in their investment life cycle, so to speak, uh, they're at different stages, right? Uh, they're at different stages. Like, uh, India is, is still underpenetrated in terms of insurance. Uh, the US, you can say, has a lot more, it's a lot more mature market. And there's an insurance, there's an insurance business for every uh, single type of insurance. Uh, right? And, and there's probably different trends that are, um, kind of forming. So, when you look at the curve, is there any learnings that you take from each market and and what does it kind of follow? Is there, um, uh, you know, some kind of a, can you plot them on a life cycle and say this is how things uh, progress? See, because if you take uh, telecom, for example, uh, you know, India kind of leapfrogged from landlines to mobile phones, right? That was like, you know, we completely skipped uh, full, uh, you know, cabling for broadband and all of that. And now people have just gone to you know, four uh, G, for example, uh, to a large uh, segment. Whereas the US didn't—that didn't happen, right? They went through the whole process. There's uh, cables all over the place. Um, so, are we seeing some of these trends happen uh, across the world?
1: Yeah, great question. So, I think uh, in insurance specifically, right? The when you plot insurance penetration across um, uh, sort of GDP per capita. Uh, historically, there's been a significant shift up in penetration once GDP per capita crosses sort of three thousand uh, dollars per person on a PPP basis, right? So that's a so India is about twenty seven hundred. So theoretically, if that relationship holds, uh, we should be seeing uh, a significant increase in insurance penetration from a both a sort of desire. There is, I guess, it may, it makes intuitive sense, right? Because once you have uh, a bit more income, there's more things to protect, you are actually capable of thinking of a future of protecting these things rather than uh, worrying on a day-to-day basis uh, of how, how you'll survive today rather than, you know, what uh, five years later an adverse event may mean. Um, so so historically, that has been the relationship uh, and, you know, we'll we'll see very quickly in India if that relationship holds. The challenge, of course, is, as you said, right, the world is changing faster than, than all of historical models. And this leapfrogging concept uh, makes makes you make sh- want to make sure that you don't re- put too much reliance on old models. In, in insurance specifically, I think that's a low risk because um, what I do think may happen is that some of the more complex products that have grown in, in the US, etc., may not sell that much in India, actually may not have very expensive whole life policies and this and that. And you may have more sort of smaller micro policies, li- lesser duration, covering sort of this different kinds of risks that are not covered today. Uh, but you will, I think, see certainly much more insurance uh, sales happening as, is, as India becomes richer. And, and, and you know the, the protection element of, of insurance is an interesting area where different kinds of products are going to be created. And those guys are the winners. The winners are going to be those who are able to react to customer needs. To kind of the customer protections that the customer, the Indian customer wants, and be able to create those products rather than just taking a global product and sticking it into the market.
0: You know, um, in the sense you've seen healthcare evolve in India, right? Like you've kind of been, uh, you started a healthcare venture early, and now you've, uh, you know, you've seen what has happened. Do you kind of feel bad you maybe exited the market at the wrong time
1: because? <laughs> You know, there's this in venture right? One of the key questions is why now, right? Um, And uh, you know, my I used to take pride that I'm a visionary, I'm ten years ahead of the market. I've come to the realization that being ten years ahead of the market means you're wrong. So (laughs) there is no point in being ten years ahead of the market. Um, And effectively, being ten years ahead of the market gives you know, it just means that you 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 really don't hit the wave, and it's impossible to you know, like the classic example is. Webvan versus Instacart, right? Webvan blew up, seven hundred million dollars. Had nothing to show for it. Instacart is a multi-billion-dollar company, doing effectively the same thing. But because the world has changed, it's much more uh, feasible to do it. So yes, uh, you know, I see a lot of the stuff that we were building back in 2013, 14, when I was doing my my startup, uh, coming onto the market now and scaling way better than we ever scaled. Uh, yeah, that is, of course, it's a bit of a bittersweet thing to say, Of oh, shit, it's happening now. But the realization is the fact that it's happening now means there's no credit for me to have thought of it in 2013. It was the wrong time. could not have happened then. Right. Uh, the mobile penetration, etc. was so low that it just could not have happened then. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, that's a very important point. And, and the last few months, there have been discussions and debates about, you know, what is timing, right? Can you time the market? Can you time the market? And the reality is, until you do, you, you never know. And you know, it's, if you have the tailwind, and you you know somehow hit uh, you know the biggest wave of your life, right? You know, you, you didn't plan the big wave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, a surfing anal- analogy, right? Like you try to catch every wave you have, but <laughs> you don't know it's going to become the biggest
1: wave. Uh, That's absolutely true. As an entrepreneur, you you know, but uh, as an entrepreneur and an investor, it's important to sort of spend a bit of time identifying why you think the wave is coming now. Uh, and as an entrepreneur you want to start something say a year before you think the wave is going to be really large uh, and as an investor you need to know what are the large waves today so that you don't miss them uh but it's not easy uh, you know as uh, as as the saying goes right predicting the future predict- predicting the future is hard especially about the future so <laughs> predicting is hard especially about the future that's the that's the phrase
0: but but I, I think w- what you were alluding to is the fact that you want to be on the right beach, right? So you can
1: be on the wrong beach. <laughs> <place. laughs> you right.
0: can be at I mean, a placid beach. Yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah, the right beach in my mind is the right, is the total TAM, right? Total addressable market. So you need to be in the right size of the market. Otherwise, even if you catch a wave, who cares? Now, if you look at uh, what's happened in the last
0: year, especially with the regulatory sandbox for insurance, that's something that, you know, a lot of people in the insurance business have obviously said, oh, it's it's a great move. But, you know, thought standpoint it feels like, you know, it's it's um, just a small step towards something because I know there's a lot of limitations to using the reg- regulatory sandbox uh, for insurance uh, as well. right? Like you need to show up with an insurer who has been in the market for so long. You need to co-create products. That means the insurer has to be okay with taking certain amount of risks. Uh, and so on. I know this is the right direction because you know at least the regulator uh, is is taking steps to want to innovate, which is which is nice. What could come out of this, and and you know, are there any things that you see will change
1: that will result in better utilization of such initiatives? At the outset, of course, it's great that the regulator launched the sandbox, right? So you went from a very, I would say, very, I guess, from a from a sort of confrontational approach, more or less. Where whatever you're doing, clearly you're doing something wrong. To at least a collaborative approach, uh, that's a great step that uh, should not be underestimated in any shape or form. Right, things can be improved, but at least not directionally very accurate. Um, and and you know, uh, I, I think the the see the the I think the regulator is 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 right that they have to be very cognizant and 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 proactive in protecting the rights of the Indian consumer uh, because you know there is there is. You know, for whatever reason, there has been mis-selling. There has been promises that were made that could not be kept in the insurance world. I'm not pointing fingers as to who's to blame, but overall in the industry, I think we can all agree that, uh, you know, our NPS, uh, net promoter score of the industry as a whole, is not necessarily something to be proud about. Um, so so I can see why the regulator is, is a bit more uh, concerned than, say, some of the other markets. But at the same time, I'm glad that they're taking the first steps to open it up. Uh, you know the uh, sort of the, the the way I've seen it play out in other markets, of course, is uh, the insurtechs or of the of the country sort of band together and create, uh, you know, effectively some lobbying or, or some you know pressure on the regulator to open up more and more. You've seen this happen in the UK, seeing it happen in uh, in Singapore with the Singapore FinTech Association. In in, in UK, there's an organization called Insurtech UK. Uh, Which is working with the regulator to help them understand how more data and more touch points with the consumer actually mean greater protection and less ability to missell or misuse consumer data.
0: Mm.
1: In India, I think with all these, uh, you know, with all the data uh, infrastructure being put in place, like the account aggregator, etc., some of these things will become easier to prove that we are not going to misuse the data, you're actually using it to benefit the consumer. So I think that will that will drive ad, uh, adoption, and uh, yeah, you know we uh, Leo as, as Leo Capital and, and as myself we sort of just set up this India and Association, a non profit to sort of kickstart some of these things and and uh, you know bring in the learning I've had being part of the fintech association here and in the UK as well.
0: What kind of change do you hope to effect from uh, having association? Uh, I know Prerak, uh, founder, one of your uh, portfolio companies, is, is heading that. Uh, so, w- what what's the thought here? Like, you know, the
1: th- the thought Varun, is very. I mean, it's analogous to what's happened outside, right? It is be a a, a sort of neutral body where all all sort of these all insurers, all the companies using technology to impact insurance can come on board and then together we can sort of decide what are the things you want to re- push the regulator for, what are the changes you want to push the regulator for. Things like this, right? The co-creation point. It's something that is great. It's important for as version one, I think it's fine to have co-creation. But version two, you should be able to step out of co-creation, right? So how do you make the regulator comfortable with that? That kind that kind of thing.
0: So so would that mean uh, you know like full stack approach where we're able to take a risk uh you know, and and basically do uh, the whole uh, you know manufacturing the policy and uh, you know managing the risk and so on
1: yeah absolutely right so uh, you know how, how do you how do you sort of uh, make make the regulator comfortable that perhaps you don't need say 30 million of paid up capital to take out some risk for you know, how do you manage a smaller book uh, which you are underwriting and you are effectively insuring How do you effectively building a captive more, so to speak? Uh, How do you do some of these things without obviously breaking all the rules and, uh, you know, annoying, annoying everyone? That's not the right answer. So I think that's where, you know, how do you, how do you sort of expand the scope of the sandbox to allow for uh, things that are uh, truly sort of scary from the regulator's point of view effectively at the moment?
0: You are from an insurer standpoint, we talk a lot about the risk and, uh, you know, issuance and distribution, all of that stuff. But um, insurers also have some of the largest pools of money to do other things with, right? Uh, At a, a case in point, is uh, LIC uh, in, in, in this country or uh, Berkshire Hathaway in the US, right? They, uh, and, and you have stalwart investors who run an insurance company. Um, is is that uh, you know? I mean, now I, I'm also I'm a little antsy that the LIC has so much money, uh, and and you know can can uh, you don't even know? I mean, given given the political situation, you don't know where the money is going. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I never understood how that kind of works in India because we don't see. Uh, apart from maybe some debt funds and and some other things that we probably can read about that insurers put their money into uh do they do other things with with their cash
1: i mean look uh, it's a it's a fascinating area right the asset management piece for insurers, especially life insurers, which have huge balance sheets it's not their money technically it's the policyholders' money, and the yeah. insurance company's on the hook for it right because it's a liability ultimately you have to pay out the promises you've made um so but yeah i mean that's why Bar- warren buffett obviously owns diaco because you know the the cash flow generation in insurance companies is, is enormous it's uh, from an investor point of view it's a very interesting business to be in um in okay. terms of allocation asset allocation right for a large i i've never, never done it so i, I don't have great depth but obviously the you know you you want to sort of have fairly risk averse at allocation that's why i think a lot of it goes to treasuries or you know debt instruments etc and then uh, you know minute aspect minute sort of percentages allocated to uh equity and then even more minute allocated to uh alternatives but i can say this right even very minute allocations end up pretty large right so yeah it's, it's i was just gonna say like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. billion is, is not small yeah a fraction of a fraction of a fraction i mean metalized. Uh, uh you know uh, sort of the publicly quoted figure i think is about uh, 50 billion is allocated to to private equity on a yearly basis so that's a huge number <laughs> but it's a tiny 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 sure. tiny fraction of of what the overall investment pool there is and most of it goes to us treasuries
0: that's crazy because that's that's the amount they're willing to lose in a way, right? That's mm-hmm. what equity or any other investment is. is saying that 50 billion is
1: something they're willing to lose. And that's mind <laughs> <Yeah. fine-gold>, blowing, right? <laughs> Shows you the scale of the industry, right? It's $5.1 trillion of GWP per annum in the world insurance. So it is a huge, it's a gigantic in- industry across life, health. If you think about it, right? Insurance touches pretty much every aspect of your life your life, starting with life, you know, then health, then your sort of general insurance, then your, you know, commercial insurance. So it's it's a broad industry. Um, like everything is insured now, right? Even, I mean, think outside, I don't think it's happening in India yet, but uh, outside, you know, your food delivery, getting the food that, that driver is insured. The I know some people are even trying to work on ensuring that the food gets to you in a certain amount of time, which maybe a little bit too far. But, That's you know, crazy. It's uh, <laughs> well,
0: talking about, you know, kind of getting into the micro type of transaction, which is, I think what is your, what you're talking about is that food getting delivered, cab getting here on time, uh, getting to the airport on time. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think in India, we have uh, dengue insurance. Uh, you have, uh, they've taken one aspect of all the things that could happen you and say, hey, this is the season uh, you could get uh, you know uh, infected <laughs> while you uh, uh, purchase it. Um, just kind of taking a thread from our last uh, you know the last point that you made, they have insurers have large uh, pools of money, but in these scenarios, uh, at least in India, these micro-insurance are not created by large insurers. Um, they're created by you know all these newer players who are also acting like uh, either as agents. Or they're just an enabler to that, and they're micro transactions, right? Uh, Ten rupees, twenty rupees, seventy rupees, and then you can maybe put a combo and say two hundred rupees. Now that's not going to get you a billion uh, in draws underwritten it in premium, right? Uh, <laughs> what's the thought process here? Like, I mean, I I, I see I see the allure, but but I, I have my own. Uh, mental blocks in terms of how you're going to get this transaction done. But, you know, I'm curious, what what is the thought behind creating some of these products?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, um, that that's a question as well is that, is this venture size, right? Is this venture scale? I think it's an open question, hasn't been answered yet. Uh, the But what's easy to answer is why the large insurers don't do it. The large insurers don't do it because it doesn't fit their business model. Right. They're used to sort of using agents to push out products, which have significant amount of premium attached to it so that it's worthwhile for everybody. Uh, why do it? It's a great way to introduce customers who have never been new to insurance customers, right? So if you think about two by two, right. Of customers who have bought insurance, customers who have not bought insurance, vast majority of Indians still sit in not bought insurance. They may have, have some access to government programs, but they've not bought them, right? That's That is, that's sort of provided as a, as a benefit. So it's a good way to sort of, you know, lower the barrier of entry, so to speak, to new-to-insurance customers. And, you know, the the bet is that if you can own these customers over three three to five years, you'll be able to upsell or cross-sell a wide variety of products so that the each customer's sort of profitability is not that far off from a large customer's profitability because theoretically you reach them digitally. So you don't have the, you know, 30%, 40% distribution cost. Uh, and hence you can lower the cost that much on the premium and still net out at the same amount uh, to be proven whether it works out or not but i am a firm believer that uh, digital will move the purchase journey of insurance into onto digital platforms and in customer so if you think about it today right today the insurance is very much a push product right i mean uh everybody sort of you think about it right i'm supposed to go even the digital players right i go to a website i, sh- I should know what i'm searching for i have to know what i'm searching for then i search then i put in some details and somebody calls me this is a standard flow whether it's happening in india it's happening in the uk or it's happening in the us Um, that has to change and that will change where the digital platform will know a lot about me will know you know things Uh, the the data will be able to inform the kind of product that should be done and the journey will be on the platform end-to-end. That's the thesis behind our cover genius investment, which is building this platform for being able to embed any type of insurance, right, starting with a simple thing like travel, but moving to health and moving to to life uh, that are accessible on platforms that create interesting data for that kind of product. So that's the bet. Let's see how that plays out.
0: Hey, um, you know, since you brought up Cover Genius, um, I, I think the the appropriate question now, and and you know, when I have a conversation with investors, I ask them, uh, you know, we, we'll, I want you to weigh your in, like current investor head for Leo Capital, right? And uh, uh, what I want to do is, I'll, you know, you have about four investments that I know of that I think are super cool. Uh, so I want to understand, you know, kind of uh, your thesis why you invested in them um you know what stage of the company uh, that you invested in i know you're an early stage company but some of these companies are been older as well Um, and then uh you know what's your favorite part about their business and what what do you think the outlook is uh for that so uh you know since you brought up cover genius let's start with that um i'd love to get your thought and, and on you know the investment
1: yeah, sure. So Cover Genius is basically a company that provides APIs for digital platforms to embed insurance in their, uh, in their, uh, uh, on their platforms and, and and you know increase their revenue take. The simplest way to think about this is is like embedding travel insurance. So if you've ever bought a ticket on Make My Trip, there's a little tick box to add a uh, travel insurance. Now the Make My Trip experience, the travel insurance is the same. You the the offer Varun gets and the offer Shweta gets are exactly the same. I might be flying to Goa, you might be flying to Bhopal. Nothing will change. Uh, but Cover Genius actually allows you to create a offer on the fly, so it's an optimized offer. So it will know, for instance, that if I'm going to Goa, that probably means it's a uh, you know it's a holiday. Maybe there's a chance to add a rider for you know extreme sports or whatever. They make it a fair. While if you're going to Bhopal, it's probably a day trip, it's a business trip, maybe you need more protection for things like your laptop, etc. Mm-hmm. So interesting, these things seem, seem small, but there's an actually a large opportunity in even revenue optimization for these kind of personalizations. And what's more interesting is that a personalized offer uh, increases attachment rates. More people then tick that box because they realize, oh, this is great, this is uh, you know they've understood that I'm actually going and coming back in this much time, and this, these are the key risks. And uh, you know they've created a product just for me. So these kind of capabilities, uh, you know, fit in with our thesis that insurance is going to be insurance. Effectively, is a digital product. It's a classic digital product. There is mm-hmm. no physical uh, thing, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. policy is kind of not what the paper is printed on. So <laughs> it is purely a long-term promise it's certainly yeah. something that can be done totally digitally there's no reason why it's done uh, offline uh, apart from historically it's been done offline so we thought that the, uh, you know this company was a very very interesting take on micro digital products and the the global scope made the size of the win big enough for it to be venture worthy right so to your point right in each micro market you may not have depth to create Venture style businesses if you're selling, selling these kind of small policies, but if you do it globally coveragegene is in sixty countries now um, then it adds up right so yeah, yeah. Then, then you get to that billion dollar gwP uh, so that's what excited us about that and we were delighted to be able to participate uh, with them earlier this year uh, and I'm super excited because it uh, you know they that company is truly building out what if what the future of insurance looks like
0: that's very interesting because you're saying now the micro we said uh, you know only like for example it's only dengue uh, they're saying hey uh, if you get dengue and uh, you know and, and it's something else maybe it's uh, you get hospitalized uh, you know for longer you can actually add uh, an additional rider you get longer cover instead of just saying here's the dengue insurance which the standard product for 30 rupees now uh, Whoever selling it, uh, even through their own platform, they can actually predict uh, or or give more options
1: uh, right there. Is that is that what this looks like? Uh, so both things right. One of course is that you you can say it's only dengue, but say it across x number of countries. That 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 right. helps right. And um, and Cover Genius did a very good job of expanding to those countries uh, before sort of taking large venture. Uh, capital and that's something you should talk to their C their CEO as to how that journey is built. So it's a very good scaling strategy that they followed. Uh, the second thing is yes, the you know rather than sort of offering rather than offering purely purely pre-made products. So uh, there's a level of personalization. So there's an ability just sort of again Dengue is, is I think a bit very very specific to India, but theoretically there'd be a possibility to say uh, I mean, not theoretically, I know the platform to do this is take your postcode, uh, cross-reference if, if the data is available, how many dengue cases there are there and tell you how much, what your risk is and why you should be buying like maybe a more deep, bigger dengue cover than a smaller dengue cover. Those kind of possibilities are all all opened up because yeah. of the ability to ingest data and yeah. cross-reference it to the risk that's being under underwritten.
0: So Cover Genius is based out of Australia. That's right. And 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 how does the fund work? Because then uh, the fund is not uh, a, a, an India fund;
1: it's it's uh, outside, and you invest across the world. So we are a Singapore fund, and uh, we invest uh, sort of you know we invest primarily in India, but uh, we you know Southeast Asia and the US also. We we do plenty of investments. Uh, I think for us the key is that you know we are in we are india-based i mean we have been india-based investors right so uh, there has to be a, a a good link to india so uh either the, there's a back office there or there's some some uh some link to 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 india that that's typically there in all of our investments but we are we are we have done some which are completely non-india as well
0: so let's uh you know i'm 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 going to pick a company now that's uh, uh, in India. Uh, this is um, Beto app. And uh, Beto is focusing on, on uh, at least they started out focusing on diabetes uh, management. Uh, I, I believe they started with like a little device where you plug into your phone and then you can uh, use a glucometer uh, and then track your um, you know blood sugar level. And this was you know, for those with type 2 diabetes and then they can track and, and know. They get recommendations as a health coach. Uh, they've been around for a little while and they got some pretty interesting partnerships as well. Um, so you uh, did you uh, invest in them very early um, or it was more recent? Uh, how did this come about? Uh, and what's your outlook for diabetics in India?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, Beta is an old, older investment. We were their first uh, institutional investor alongside Bloom. We co-invested with Bloom. Um, and, uh, yeah, beta was, uh, the second investment from, from the fund. So, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's right at right, right, right at the start of our investing journey. Um, look, the thesis in beta is very simple. I think in India healthcare, uh, you want, because it's all out of pocket, you need to back solutions in my mind where there is absolute need to pay, right? Uh, the Indian consumer is very hard to take cash out of their wallet so they only spend on money there the, uh, <laughs> where where not spending money actually hurts uh, and i think chronic diseases is a great example of that where uh, you know once you have it and you see the benefit that sort of managing it brings then you're willing to spend that money it's still you're not happy about it but at least you're willing to spend it uh, and i think Beto really understood the indian consumer psyche right so uh, the 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 big in- innovation with the glucometer was removing the um, the, the display from the glucometer uh, that reduced the cost of the glucometer substantially, but also created a very virtuous cycle where to get the reading you have to plug it into the, into the phone yeah. that launches the app. Uh, and then once you're in the app, you're, you have the ability to do sort of other things, right? You're able to nudge, you're able to cross sell, upsell, et cetera. And then Beatles executed wonderfully on that, right? So they understood that uh, they understood that the diabetics needed an ecosystem of spends, right? From testing, to 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 medicines to supplements to to nutritious food etc uh, and they' managed to make their app the one-stop solution for diabetics so whether you want diabetic compression socks you want quinoa chakras everything is available on that app and, and it's and you know the fiction has gone out from ordering uh, you know jamunka juice or karele ka juice and stuff like that um, and 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 the Indian, you know, Indian consumer appreciates that the Indian consumer wants to manage their diabetes with a bunch of uh, sort of you know natural natural remedies alongside obviously the, the allopathic drugs. Uh, so that's been great to see Beeto sort of build out a very deep connect to the consumer, solve for the consumer's needs, and over time be able to sort of increase the share of wallet as they add more and more services, and as become the sort of trusted provider for diabetics uh the future for diabetics right i mean india remains i think is the world's capital with uh, uh, more and more people becoming diabetic uh the awareness for sort of what causes diabetes is, is still low uh, surprisingly enough it's still low uh so yeah i think that they, uh, you know uh, there's a rosy future for managing diabetics um and uh, there are many more opportunities sort of that will open up from there because uh, traditionally, like insurance has found it very hard to insure diabetics because the spend is more, life expectancy is less. But equally, now, if you manage diabetes well, your risk is not that different from a non-diabetic. Right. So as as Beto creates these data sets, it'll have opportunities to expand into some of these ancillary services as well. I'm curious
0: because, you know, uh, when when you invested uh, and you're saying uh, it's quite early, uh, that's uh, a hardware play, right, technically, because, you know, you're you're pretty much bringing, because there are some giants in this space and they've been around forever uh, and they've created different products and like you said, they probably have, you know, they don't have a tech first approach because they've always been creating these devices and they've kind of gone with it. Um, how uh, did you think about it at that Point. Because you know, playing hardware is also tough because there are other challenges um with, with being a hardware player. versus uh,
1: distribution. Yeah no you you're right. I mean we, we 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 spent a lot of time on this. So for us the the software side of it was always more exciting. See ultimately you can swap out the hardware and, and integrate with any locomotive, right. And and that yeah. will be the future. But they, the team had a very compelling argument to why they needed to be in the hardware business because the majors were just not interested in creating that very, very cheap device without the display, right? Uh, so it was a classic case of disruption, right? So, from an incumbent's point of view, having a glucometer without a device is just like mind-blowing, right? How can you do this, right? It's such a, like having a, a device which has uh, no display, no Bluetooth, no nothing, right? It does one thing and one thing only, which is accept the strip and run it through the circuitry. That's it. Uh, So it was a classic disruption thing there. You know, the devices have overshot everybody's use, uh, you know, requirement. And because the manufacturers are so locked in, they can't step back and create such a simple thing. But to open up a new market, you need something like that, right? Which is just totally simple and does the one job that the customer needs it to do. Uh, so, I think that's why the, the device was important. Uh, but I see it more as a software ecosystem play, right? So, it, the core is the app that will manage the data, that man, manage the ecosystem providers, and manage the whole diabetes management program as I get more data from you, from all your ordering you do, from all the blood sugar readings you take, and all the diagnostics you do. So, that's the, I think that will be, that's the bet that, that it will become more of a software company over time. Uh, but it needed to be a hardware company to crack the market open, which is what they've been doing. Uh,
0: but there is something, uh, from a, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just digging a little bit deeper into this, but, you know, just selling okras and, uh, or, or, you know, okra chips or, uh, quinoa kapras or anything. Um is e-commerce really going to, you know, give the value for, you know, uh, you know, diabetes management app, like from an e-commerce standpoint, because, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of e-commerce companies come and go, right. Of course, their acquisition costs are very different and, and probably they struggle. And here you are basically using this as, you know, just a second leg where you make a little bit of money uh, on the downstream and it's gravy, right? Like you, if you keep that as kind of cost neutral, uh, maybe there's a way or even drop ship, find some other way to solve for it. Um, do you ever see that being a large part of their growth
1: you know so uh, i think overall enabling e-commerce as as effectively seeding my way i look at it is the seeding the marketplace and creating uh, you know aggregation of demand for some of these things that are harder otherwise to uh, to manufacture for because you just you know you don't have uh, you don't have the ability to your cat goes out of whack, right? If you're trying okay. to find diabetics in the Amazon ecosystem, if you're trying to find diabetics, it's a little bit more complicated than uh, uh, than finding it on on a platform which is full of diabetics. Um, it's been. Inter- I, I personally, I was. I, I my initial reaction when they were intu- introducing uh, some of these, these e-commerce products was uh, was not very. Not I wasn't the most excited. I thought there was a little okay. distraction. But uh, the data has proved me wrong. So, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think uh, a large business is being formed on it. Now, of course, that's not a software business. That is a, uh, a distinct business. So that will be something we have to figure out how that plays out on scale. But uh, it's, it's certainly something where, you know, the, the, the stickiness created by some of these products is, is high enough that it's worth doing. Right. Because some of these products are hard to find in the open market. Uh great. So let's switch from
0: uh diabetes to uh mental health. Uh uh-huh. you have uh, you've invested in Way Forward, um yep. which is a company based in New York. Um, you know, when when did you meet them? What was the I, I know mental health is uh, a point of uh, at least discussion right now, um the last couple of years. Um, so when did you meet them? At what stage were they and, and you know what excited you into this opportunity?
1: Yeah, yeah. So great. Yeah. So Ritvik is uh, is the founder of of Way Forward, Ritvik and Navya. Um, they I, I met them actually back in Delhi. They started the business in Delhi uh, when they were uh, you know trying to sort of crack the Indian market initially. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, the thesis there, you know, what what I saw uh, while working in insurance is that if you really back stuff out, a lot of claims and a lot of challenges are driven by poor mental health um and you know they, especially uh, you, you know uh, it's a, it's a hidden pandemic i guess it's a hidden epidemic for sure maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's a hidden pandemic as well um and and you know things like stress things like anxiety uh, uh, you know which are which are mental health problems then manifest themselves in you know things like elevated uh, sort of ketones etc right. that that, blood that blood then pressure. cause well, yeah, a certainly elevated blood pressure. Then that caused, you know, downstream effects of cardiac, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, stroke, cardiac disease, uh, kidney disease, etc. So that has been something that has been interesting to 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 sort of think about. The challenge, of course, is that the, the linking data was such a long time period, and uh, you know, this is so far from the sort of proximate cause of the of the problem that nobody wants to solve it at this this stage. So w- w- the challenge from an insurance point of view has been that, but. You know the the near term of improving mental health to improve productivity is clear, and and that link is is easy to understand. And then it became a question of finding whether market timing is right, right? Where is the uh, willingness and ability to pay correct at the moment? And which is why we were attracted to the U.S. market because over there employees have gotten on to the fact that better mental health means better productivity. I think they it's not that employees in India employers in India have not gotten on to that fact is that the budgets are not there yet. Uh, and so when we saw what we fought and managed to do, which is sell direct into the U.S. SMB base a little bit and some U.S. enterprises as well. So build the product in India, sell in the U.S. It's a classic SaaS uh, model, right? Uh, a lot of excellent SaaS companies from Freshwork onwards have been created with this model. And we thought that uh, the timing is right from from a market perspective that you could potentially create a SaaS Mental health company, and that's what we are backing way forward to do. So way forward was, was certainly later. They had had more investors. They had had more revenue, etc., than some of the other bets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, we are we are backing their expansion in the US.
0: um How did you meet some of these companies? Uh, was there an
1: interaction uh, Did you form them? Did you have a thesis? Uh, so we, I don't uh, personally. I'm not a very the, not that much of a thesis-driven investor. I find uh, the best entrepreneurs are able to explain the opportunity to you uh, so that if you have, uh, I tried, I mean, big words, I try and use it, have a beginner's mind, just learn uh, <laughs> yeah. why is why the opportunity is exciting the entrepreneur. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the best entrepreneurs are, are able to infect you with their enthusiasm and explain to you why the timing is right, why the market is large and why they're going to win. Right. And when you get excited alongside an entrepreneur, that's when I think personally, I like those are the investments I like making the best. Uh, I find if you do too much top down, right, you, you start thinking you know what the best, what the company needs to do best, which is always tricky. Um, so for us, you know, meeting entrepreneurs is, uh, is, the, is I guess, the core of, of what we do and, and, and it's what we put on our website. So if you write, if you write in cold to us, you get a response. We respond to 100% of the emails. Uh, you know, mostly just to say no. Unfortunately, that's the nature of the game. But you know, at least one of Rajul, me, or Dinesh, uh, who's just joined us as well, uh, will be reading and responding to your email. Um, so that's that's sort of our inbound process. Otherwise, of course, you know, you uh, now you know you sort of back from the entrepreneurs. So they make introductions. You build relationships with other investors. They make introductions. And otherwise, you just meet uh, founders in in events. It's become harder now that all events have become virtual. But uh, you know, uh, it's, it's it's a great way to meet uh, interesting companies. In in this week's case, uh, you know the other big pool, of course, is all these alumni networks. So he he's a Wharton grad. Another friend of mine is a Wharton grad, and they're connected us so i'm not a Warton grad but you know <laughs> that's how that the connection happened
0: so you got a warm introduction and that always helps uh but yeah. w- from from my understanding a lot of investors try to stay away from uh events because it's too much of a trap uh running around at events
1: <laughs> uh, you know i i've never i personally don't understand that yes there are a lot of companies that are not venture fundable or not ready ready to pitch to venture um but it doesn't take that long to sort of politely decline and, and move on. Um, and I think I personally uh, would rather have my aperture open and meet uh, some of these founders um, uh, rather than sort of shut it out completely. Uh, Maybe a function that, uh, you know, uh, I'm still new to this game and so on. Maybe, so, you know, <laughs> Maybe change <laughs> over time. <laughs> 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 you
0: know, but you but probably are inundated with too many requests at some point. And like,
1: I need to find a filter and the filter. Look, I think we already, we, we still have an overflowing inbox, right? And I think the only thing is to be firm and say no and it, and you know, just say no. And if it is face to face, try and explain very quickly why you think it's not there. Challenge becomes when obviously the entrepreneur then feels the need to prove you wrong in that conversation. Uh, and that's something you just have to learn to sort of just say, look, I, I I hear you. You've got a strong point of view. Uh, it's not right for me at the moment, but you know, uh, best of luck, kind of thing. Uh,
0: you're, you're right because uh, ultimately, you're just a custodian of, of the money, right? Uh, you you still have a job to do, and uh, sometimes it becomes very hard to explain that you know, because of course, as a, as even as a startup founder, you feel like you want every uh, uh, investor to write you a check, which
1: is never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to happen, and the fact that an investor is saying no is in no is not necessarily a reflection on your business or the chances of success or any of these things of your business. uh It may be I have a contracting investment. It may be I don't have belief in the space. It may be I may i just may not have you know I might be neck deep in two deals and I don't have the mental bandwidth to look at it at the moment. So any of these things could be happening. Um, I think where you know the uh, advice would always be, of course if the questions are around TAM or market size, then it's, it works. It, it's worth your while to think hard about it. As a founder, I didn't think hard enough about some of the market size questions I was asked and sort of did a hand wave that, look, it's going to be big enough. It's healthcare. How can it be not big enough? But uh, market size is a tough thing to crack because your CAC and your GTM really determine whether you're going to, be able to build a big enough business. Uh, now
0: now that we're in the pandemic, uh, well, kind of hopefully we're coming out of it. Uh, are you seeing any
1: uh, trends, uh, any predictions for this year? <laughs> I've I stopped making predictions for this year. Um, you know, I, th- I think what the pandemic did, of course, was massively accelerate digital adoption. But I do think you're also coming to the point where there's a little bit of digital adoption fatigue. So, uh, yeah. you know, there's, I think the questions that we've been asking, initially, the question was, will travel ever come back? Will offices come back? Um, my my personal view is that travel will come back uh, and it'll come back with a vengeance, actually. Yeah. you know, uh, Leisure travel will probably go above what it was earlier and even business travel will come back. Yeah. Business travel is going to be tricky because the CFO will want to keep things sort of locked down a little bit. Right? Yeah. Everybody's saving a ton of money. But uh, I think uh, people are getting fed up of being stuck in their homes. So it's going to be... I don't think offices are dead. I do think offices will <laughs> will survive and. Uh, if you think back, right, I mean, you look, uh, I, I was reading a book called The Pale Rider, which talks about the 1918 pandemic. Um, and, you know, once the pandemic was passed, five years later, things were just all forgotten, right? So I think uh, as human beings, we have a great ability to just forget the past, right? And just go back to what we like doing best, which is, you know, spend time together and congregate in, in, in groups. That's that's uh, a core part of humanity. So I don't think it's going to change.
0: No, right, it's, it's human nature, um, you want to be together, uh, you want to be social and, and I think that's going to definitely uh, come back. Hey uh, Shwetan, this has been uh, an awesome conversation. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks Varun, it's been great fun, enjoyed it.